All right, good morning. Uh, man, uh, j- in just a little bit, Case Chandler is going to be baptized into Christ. Um, and I have been so excited about that this morning. I've been praying about him this week. And I actually uh, was praying this morning, and I decided to start my sermon, uh, started small talk this morning, uh, just lifting up um, maybe the next generation, I would say, of Christians in prayer. I was thinking about Case, and I was just thinking about um, what's ahead and can you imagine where America will be? And I'm just going to just talk about America. I'm going to talk about the church here, Meadowlark. What's going to take place in the next, I'm just going to say, 40 years? Where will the church be in 40 years? Where will America be in 40 years? What could take place in that time? And um, what's beautiful to me, check this out. The church is still alive and doing well today. 2,000 years later. After nations have risen and fallen, the United States just been around for a short period of time, relatively, and the and the church has been thriving and growing despite everything through any war. And there's been divisions and there's been sickness, but here's the thing that I want to lift up in prayer for the next generation: is kind of we go into this rocky soil. I pray that our generation would represent the humility of Christ to you. Above everything else, I pray that in our generation and in the next generation, church would not be known for the kind of show that you put on during 45 minutes once a week. Church wouldn't be known for the arrogance, for the divisions, for the hard spirits that have been in so many of us so so often. But the church would continually be defined by the very spirit of God in his people. By the humility and the servitude that Christ came to bring. Um, By genuine love and by marriages that are strong. And by people that, having gone through incredible sacrifice and incredible pain, have remained faithful and hopeful in their God. The reason I pray this, um, and I want to come before our God and lift case up, and I want to lift this generation up, is because for the last, I don't know, several hundred years, I would say, uh, the church has enjoyed a relative time of peace. There's been wars, and there's been a lot of stuff, but in my lifetime anyway, I'm, I'm only 40 some years old, but I've actually had a pretty pleasant life. It's been peaceful. But it won't always be that way. And it's not guaranteed that the next 40 years are going to be full of peace. And I just pray that um, we would have a dependence on God no matter what is ahead. That, is, that reveals us as being honest. That reveals us as being faithful. That reveals us as being true witnesses of Him. That will make more sense as we get into this parable. Let's, let's pray. My God, I want to come before you, and I want to lift up your spirit in this place and in our hearts. And God, even though we look at ourselves and others and you through our own lens, I pray, Father, that you'd remove those lenses and help us to see by your spirit what's truly in our hearts. Before you, I lift up Case, and I just lift up, Father, another generation before you. And we need you. We depend on you, uh, God, because we become too 
self-centered in ourselves. And I know I do. And as your people, and, and I, I, I pray, God, that we would not be effective businesses, but we would truly be your people that depend on you and depend on your spirit and depend on your guidance and depend on your direction. I lift up, Father, the families in this room and the marriages in this room, and I ask God that um, when people see us and they see uh, all of our faults, they see our shallowness and they see oftentimes our hypocrisy, God, I just pray that it won't reflect on you. I pray, God, that, um, that we won't get in the way. And that, Father, a new generation will see you as you truly are, a God of in- infinite compassion and infinite love. Um, you are amazing, Father, and I just praise you for the message that you're giving us in these, this parable. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I, I want to go ahead and invite you to open up with me real quick. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 here in just a moment, but uh, this parable of the seeds, or of the soils, or of the sower, um, this parable is in all three of the synoptic gospels, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's in all of these, these gospels, but there's something it says in the book of Mark that I thought was really, really interesting, it says this, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Jesus just said this, this is the most foundational parable I'm going to give you. And if you don't get what I'm about to lay before you, how are you going to get anything that I say? And we said last week, I said, there's, there's a lot of times we've talked about his parables and we said he was taking complicated truths and making them simple for the people, talking to fishermen about fish, talking to farmers about farms, this kind of a thing. But Jesus says the opposite. When they ask him, why do you speak to us in parables? Jesus says this, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. I'm confusing him a little bit. He actually says the opposite a little bit about what he's doing and what he's trying to say. I'm I'm really trying to make this so people that are truly desperate for me, hungry for me, thirsty for me, will see me as I am, will come to me. But I want to reveal people's hearts as they are. Um, what's crazy is we get it in this next part of this parable, and I'm just going to read through this uh, beginning in verse 4 for a second. This is what's about to take place in the nation, and that's why I mentioned 40 years a second ago. Israel is in a place where, get this, they've been a nation together, and they've gone into captivity and out of captivity captivity and they've been through all of this but from the time of the exodus from the time of moses for thousands of years they have been established as a nation god has protected this little community of israel and i mean they have empires of egypt to the south assyria babylon all of these empires that surround them greece rome they have this and they are just a little pawn in in this big chessboard really And God has protected them. Now in the next 40 years, this is about what's about to take place. And Jesus knows this as he's saying these words. Legions of Rome are about to surround Jerusalem. They are about to be completely wiped out. The entire city is going to be razed to the ground. In fact, all that happened in 70 AD when four legions of the Roman soldiers surrounded Jerusalem. Did you know that Jerusalem was, uh, the entire nation was there because it was during... um, um, one of their feast days. And the entire nation was gathered there. They sealed them inside the city and they broke up into three different factions. One faction controlled the temple grounds. Another faction controlled the upper city. Another faction controlled the lower city. And they went into civil war and there was a sick bloodbath within Jerusalem. 
And that was the end of the Jewish commonwealth in 70 AD forever. It really was forever. That at that point, when the city was raised, the temple was gone, the nation is led into captivity. Literally, it says this, uh, in, in history books, we're told this, they were shaved, their heads were shaved, their arms were shaved, and they were branded like cattle. And they were led into captivity, an entire nation. Cities of Christians were being put to death by the Jewish community. And if they went west, they were being persecuted by the Roman community. The, the, the atrocities and everything that took place 40 years from when Jesus spoke these words are some of the worst in history. And it's a crazy history to read about, and Jesus is preparing them for this. In fact, when he was led off to be crucified, do you remember one of the things he said? When all the women came to him and they were weeping, and he said, Women, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your sons and your daughters, because if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? In other words, if they're doing these things right now when I'm with you, and you're doing well now, or they're suffering now, what's going to happen when persecution comes, when hard times come, when atrocities come. And that's what that's the context in which he's giving this parable. He knows what's ahead in the fiery trial that's waiting the church. It was just beginning when Peter wrote and when James wrote, and they make reference to it. But what was coming in the, in the, the years that follow would seem to be something that would devastate the church. And instead, the church somehow grew and thrived during that time. This is the parable, and I just want you to keep that context in mind. This is what he says. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on. And the birds of the air came and ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And when the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They will believe for a while, but in times of testing, they'll fall away. Now, I want you to think about your own life and your own experience. When you first made a decision, a case is made today. You say, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Did you have any idea, any clue what was ahead for you? And what that would mean for your life and the pains that would come? Um, For many of you, you might be like me. The truth is, Jeff has not experienced a whole lot of extreme suffering. Nothing that I would say, listen, let me tell you my story. There really hasn't been anything like that. But I've witnessed Christians in their lives that have gone through painful, fiery trials. And their faith has been proven through them. Some of my greatest heroes in life are those that I have seen 
totally committed to their God in beautiful times and equally committed to their God when times got tough. I was kind of researching this parable this morning about uh, this particular seed that falls and it says, and it takes up and it's got root and it's growing and it's doing well. And then all of a sudden the shallow the soil and the rocks cause it to immediately start to wither. And it's something a lot of us identify with because you know what it is. And especially when you're, you're, you, you, maybe you went to a camp or you're doing something and you're like, man, my heart is on fire right now. I'm excited. Maybe it was just a Christian song you were listening to. And all of a sudden your life, it's like taken off and I'm doing well. But all of a sudden it's the monotony of the day to day to day. And all of a sudden my faith starts to wear off. But especially when times of trial come and something happens in your life, you hear the word cancer. Someone dies. Someone very close to you is facing death. You are struggling with marriage and divorce. And you're struggling with relationships. And things in life all of a sudden are turning into a complete disaster. And the last thing you want to hear is the preacher to get up and say, well, this is where your faith is proven. You know, this is where... But the truth is, man, when these times of trial come and they face our life, they teach us something about ourselves. Um, so to research this, I thought, man, I'm going to get on a farming website and I already had to do a class on marriage this morning, which totally intimidates me because the last thing I want to do is act like an expert on marriage. And now I really can't ask, act like an expert on farming in front of people that have been farmers. But I got on this website and researched farming and, and how to get rid of rocks in the soil. And then fortunately I got to sit and talk with Jim Ferry this morning. He said, yeah, I watched my dad do that. And he said, every year I had to get rid of the rocks in the soil. And I was like, why do you have to get rid of the rocks every single year? Don't you just have to do it once? He said, no, they keep coming up every year. Here's the crazy thing. It actually says that in the farmer's guide I was reading. It said, Farm, these rocks come up. They're called, oh, I'm going to get this phrase wrong. New England potatoes is a name for these. And get this. This is the reason why. Did you know that cold, icy, cold, frigid weather causes rocks to rise to the surface. And so when you're the, the, the land lies over the winter, these rocks, and I can't, I can't explain the science behind this. I read an article on it, but I wasn't smart enough to understand it. But the rocks rise to the surface during the hard times. During the cold winter, that's when they're exposed. And I mean, I saw this, and here I'm reading this farmer's website, and I get so excited. And I'm like, no way, this is so dead on what I'm talking about. You don't know there's rocks in your soil. You have no clue there's rocks in your soil. And all of a sudden, you go through hard times, and you're like, God, I thought I was the good soil. I would, I, I all my life thought I was the good soul. And the more and more I'm thinking about this parable, I'm thinking, whoo, all of these things are alive in us, right? When you talk about these weeds, that one's the hardest one on me, by the way, when we talk about the weeds. Uh, when you talk about these weeds and all the stuff that congests the gospel in your life, when you're talking about these rocks and everything that causes me to not have roots that run deep in my God and a gospel that's real in my life, all of these things, you're never once and finally one or the other. These are all going to be struggles that we go through. And it's the hard times in life that kind of expose us for who we really are. I grew up in the suburbs of Austin in a nice community where my biggest frustration in life was that I was always on the B team of whatever sport I was trying to be in. That's the biggest frustration I ever had in life. 
Then I moved to Quito, Ecuador in my early 20s. And I get a, a man comes to our door and says, you have to keep suitcases packed all the time, 24 hours a day, because we're at war with Peru right now, and they have missiles aimed at the city of Quito. And we had to have suitcases packed in case they came to get helicopters to fly us, get us to the embassy and fly us out of the country. And that was the first time in my life I was like, what? Man, I'm an American. You can't point missiles at me. You know, you're so like used to being coddled in life. And all of a sudden you're facing something, you're like, I'm vulnerable. Things can change. Living in a country like the United States, man, growing up when I was a kid, I was like, man, I live in the U.S. We were in... No, man, you're a young country. And anything can happen at any time. And the same country that's prosperous one year can end up a third world country within just a decade. I mean, it doesn't take much. And all of a sudden you realize, what if the life that I envisioned growing up where I was going to meet the person of my dreams and have the family of my dreams and have the job of my dreams and live in prosperity, what if that isn't my future? What if my future is poverty? What if it's sickness? What if it's illness? What if it's people that hate me? What if it's, what if it's all of this? What if that's what I'm facing? And uh, I think about so many people, including myself, that have been angry at God. When the times of testing come. And then I, I want to just share with you a lot of what he said here. And I'm just, I just want to share with you what Jesus said about it. He said this, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, you're blessed. And we get angry with that. And I, I, I've, I'm frustrated listening to these words too. Okay, hear me. He says this, I've told you these things that in me you would have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And so here's Jesus, and he says, I promise you, I'm going to make you one promise. In this life, I'm about to leave, and you are going to face hard times. And then we turn around and look at God and say, what happened? Why are there hard times? I was listening to Francis Chan last night, and I talked about it in class this morning. It was hilarious what he was saying. He says, imagine you were signed up and you were going in the military. And I'm just curious, how many of y'all have served in the military? Raise your hand real quick. I want to hear some of you. You'll appreciate this, okay? imagine you're serving in the military and you're called to go to war. And the guy, you go into war and you're all of a sudden in the trenches and you see a guy running back and he says, they're shooting at us. I can't believe this, man. They're shooting at us. And he starts running away. And you think, what did you expect in the war? What did you expect was going to happen? Especially when you have this... This general, just Christ that stands before you and he says, this is what's ahead. This is what you can expect. This is what's going to happen. He says this, if anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he can't be my disciple. And I grew up with that verse and I thought, like many of you did, I thought, well, the cross represents a burden in my life. And I would talk about not making the A-team as that's my cross. And that's the way... We, we talk about burying your cross. I didn't get the raise. Uh, you know, the, the struggles that you go through. What was a cross for? Did it ever represent a burden in scripture? The burden, the cross never represented a burden, ever. The cross was a place you were crucified. When he says, if you don't take your cross and come after me, he's talking about being crucified. It's the same language Paul uses when he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's, it's not the burden I bear, it's the death that I die. 
It's the life that I chose to give to my God. That's everything to me. And I think that this is the greatest truth that I have not experienced to the degree that I want to in my God, but it's the greatest truth is for us to put one foot in Christianity, one foot in Christianity and say, I'm giving my life to you and be baptized, and to keep the other foot still on the outside and still in the world, I think that is the most torturesome life you can live. I think to try to live halfway in Christ and halfway out of Christ is a burden, and it's a painful burden in our lives. I what baptism represents is saying, my God, I'm giving myself to you. Everything that I am, I am yours. And I know that there's still part of the world in my heart, but that's what it represents. And I think as long as we keep one foot on the outside and we're not fully committed to him, we're only committing ourselves to pain and to hurting ourselves uh, in him. So the first thing is he promised us that persecution was coming. But here's the beautiful thing that I couldn't believe in Scripture. I know these are hard verses, man. They're hard for me too. But then there's all these verses that say, and that persecution is the healthiest thing for you. It actually says this in Psalm 119. It says in verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Paul says in Romans, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. Peter says, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. James says, man, this is every one of the disciples, right? Says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And then finally, he says, you're blessed. You're blessed when you persevere under trial because when you've stood the test, you'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Man, I think about the early church, and I think about what they were facing. And this is the crazy task that we have today, that I have today as a teacher and as a Christian, is here I am 2,000 years removed in the most prosperous society in history, talking about messages that were given to a nation that was about to crumble. People were about to die and family members are about to die. And I'm taking the same communion they took. I'm doing the same things they took and, and I'm so far removed in my mind from all of that. And my question from my own heart is, and I, I mean, kind of, kind of what we have to look at in the rocky soil is, who am I really? Because my Christian walk has been comfortable. All of my life. I could talk about sacrifices that I've made, but they were not real sacrifices. I could talk about some of those things, but I have not gone through the pain that I've seen other people go through. And I look at those early martyrs, and I look at that early church, and I say, my God, what if it was me? And you know what? Here's the crazy thing. It could still be. I'm curious. I I would love this just to be a discussion to hear about I'm curious what you think would happen to Metal Ark, to God's church and to Christianity in the United States if we were to go through the kind of pain that the early church went through. What Christianity would look like today, what we would look like today if being a Christian meant losing your life and losing your family and going through intense suffering and intense pain. It didn't mean wearing ties and dressing nice and nice assemblies and and all of this stuff. It meant I'm sacrificing my life because of what I believe in. 
I'm laying down my life because of what I believe in. Let me ask you this. What would the church look like today? What would it look like? And a lot of you are like me. You may not have a strong answer. My guess is it wouldn't be mega churches. Um, but there would be some beautiful people that would still be willing to be martyred for their faith. Um, God, by his grace, I'm going to say something that I know is hard to say, but I, I feel I have to say this. It's very scriptural, I think. God, by his grace, sometimes does send disaster. I did not just say that if disaster strikes your life, it's from God. That's not what Jeff just said. But by his grace, sometimes he does. And sometimes the storms come and the winters come, and what they end up doing is revealing the rocks. And just saying, you know what? I just found out, God, I have a hard heart, and I didn't know it. I just found out that my faith is being put to the test, and I'm going to decide, am I in you or am I not in you? And this is the time where I'm going to go through, I'm going to rake out the rocks. Because I want the kind of faith that runs deep. Um, at the end of, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to close this talk. But at the end of the day, when we stand before this idea of this judgment seat of Christ, you know, through the gospel, there's one major theme, especially in the book of John. And it's Christ coming and knowing what was in every man's heart. He saw into your heart and he exposed it. Whether you're talking about the woman at the well or Nicodemus or whatever it is, he could stand there and look in your heart and say, I know what's in your heart. I know who you are, really. And there's not a person on this planet that most of us would let do that to ourselves. Uh, there's some people in this room that I would let do that to me. There's some people in here that I'll be honest, if they said something to me, I'd be like, I, <laughs> I, I'm hurt, but it's healthy for me to hear that from you kind of a thing. But when Jesus looks into your heart and he says, this is what's there. The purpose of this parable is this. It's not to exalt yourself and say, see, I'm the good soil. Or look, I'm the, it's not, it's for you to look at your life and say, this is the danger that I face every day. The rocks and the weeds and all this junk. And I've got to decide, am I genuine? Am I real? Do I stand before a God? And I know that no matter what happens, I'm not losing my faith in him. I'm going to hold on no matter what happens ahead. Um, I want to lift you up in prayer and lift your family up in prayer. Um, I've been thinking about this message and praying about this message a lot uh, this week. And I just, and I realized, God, you haven't sent this kind of storm into my life ever. And so to be honest with you, I'm not even sure. And I know that you haven't sent this kind of storm into the lives of our church or a lot of people. And I pray that it won't take it. I pray that it won't take a storm like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I do pray this, uh, when we get to the good soil, that the seed won't lie dormant in my heart, and it's not going to be just about protecting a seed and saying, look, I held on. Because once we get to the good soil, here's what you find out. It's not simply about holding on. That thing has got to be given life. 
It's got to come out in mission. It's got to come out in purpose. It's got to come out in fruit. And it's got to come out in something that represents Christ in every way possible. And so even if the storms don't come, the rocks take their toll. Even if the storms don't come, the rocks will take their toll. And you won't see the fruit. You're going to look at the church and you're going to see arrogance. Fighting. Numbers. But if the fruit is there, then you say, man, I come around these people because I see the very image of God in them. And when I'm with these people... I see that his spirit is still alive today and working like he did in the book of Acts. And it's crazy. Um, My God, I want to come before you. And I just want to lift up to you um, your seed in our hearts and your gospel. And I pray, Father, that you would do by your grace what you need to do. And if it's sending a storm, that you'd send a storm and whatever it is. But I pray, Father, that you would reveal to us that this life is extremely short And that it's just not about us, but about the seed within us. And I pray that you'd consume us by that root. That you'd overflow in our lives. Um, God, that, um, that there are, there are people even right now and this morning that you would convict. And that you'd convict us to plant a seed deep within, in us. And that you'd convict us to remove the rocks and remove the weeds and remove everything that stands between us and you. God, for those that have a hard heart, that like when Stephen was preaching, cover their ears and shake their head, I pray, God, that you would break the soil, that you do what you need to do uh, to keep us fertile before you. If you're not with us, I pray that you'd kill this work. And I pray that you won't allow us to misrepresent you. But if you are within us, I pray that you would be our light and our salvation and you would be um, the God that we can't even go wrong if we're in you and you're in us. I lift up to you Case this morning and I praise you for his life, what's ahead, and I ask that you would preserve the seed which is in him. Um, And in that generation, uh, God, I pray that your church, your people would just explode in a beautiful way by your spirit. It's in Christ to come before you. I just want to exalt you this morning. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together.